You're listening to episode 407 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. I know it's hot here. It's hot there, too, huh? I think it's hot everywhere. I, th- I think it is. Yeah. This is definitely the last week. Feels like the whole world is on fire, or at least heating beyond belief. But, but we got some hot news on drones this week. We do. We've got Amazon Prime Air deliveries in Texas. Russia eyes Iranian drones. DJI pushes against the American Security Drone Act. Microsoft announces a platform to train drone AI systems, a UK drone superhighway, and new drones from Alphabet's wing. So I think we should probably get started. We got a lot of news to cover. Well, our first story comes from Engageit.com. Amazon's Prime Air drones will still make deliveries in Texas. College Station Texas residents will start to see drone deliveries from Amazon Prime. After all these years, it's starting to become real, Max. It feels like it's getting closer. And in this case, Amazon is going to ask the residents if they're interested in, in drone deliveries and see if they can generate interest and plan to start deliveries later this year. The town, or at least the mayor, is pretty enthusiastic about that. Uh, He said that Amazon's new facility represents a tremendous opportunity for College Station to be at the forefront of the development of drone delivery technology. He says, we look forward to partnering with Amazon and Texas A&M and are confident that Amazon will be a productive, conscientious, and accountable participant in our community. The Texas A&M connection, I guess there's uh, quite a bit of drone activity that we see coming out of Texas A&M. So, yeah, it is kind of a drone-friendly environment, unlike the last time we've had a um, story about Amazon Prime setting up a drone delivery system where the neighbors were threatening to shoot the drones out of the sky. This seems to be a little more forethought into choosing your audience. So it'll be interesting how it meshes with Texas A&M and College students tend to be early adopters, so, you know, there's nothing better than having a drone deliver me a pint of ice cream at 4 o'clock in the morning if you're a college student. Oh, I could use a pint of ice cream right now myself. Oh, But, yeah, the way these are starting uh, generally is, uh, for obvious reasons, I think, to this audience, uh, close range, generally small deliveries. Uh, There are a lot of areas where if you have a central distribution point, a home base for the drones— you can actually reach a significant population in in some of these regions. And I think that's that's the case here. Amazon's also, of course, planning on starting drone deliveries in Lockford, California later this year. So, yeah, it does feel like sort of the initial baby steps, maybe, for drone deliveries. But, boy, you know, we thought that years ago. Yeah, but it just it feels just a little bit more concrete now that we're getting like places, not just technology and patents, etc. We're getting places, so we'll see. Well, our next story comes from good old NPR. The White House says Russian officials visited Iran to view drones for use in Ukraine. Um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, interestingly enough. 
the Soviets or the, the Russians are turning to Iran for drone technology. They are. Well, apparently, and this information comes from U.S. intelligence satellite images. The intelligence says that Russia's looking at obtaining Iranian military drones, and these images from satellites show Russian officials visiting twice, and the imagery shows a couple of different drones on display. It's at the uh, Shad 191 and 129 drones on display and in flight. Meanwhile, the images also show a, a Russian delegation transport plane there on the ground. So pretty uh, conclusive that the Russians are there looking at drones. Much of the Iranian drone technology has come from, believe it or not, captured U.S. US technology. And they have worked really hard to produce indigenous drones and uh, develop their drone technology. With the war in Ukraine, um, the Russians have clearly come to the conclusion that their drones are not exactly up to snuff. Also, a lot of their drones have been using Western components, and they're no longer able to get those components for their drones. So they're turning to the Iranians for help. It's an interesting turn of events. You know, um, Iran has never been a client state of Russia, but um, they are working together um, because evidently, clearly, they believe they have uh, commonality. And the money's good from the Russians, and the um, technology is more advanced from the Iranians. So... From, from a political standpoint, it is kind of interesting that Russia is sort of acknowledging that they are not um, necessarily the best at this like they normally do on this kind of technology. And the Iranian drones are based, at least to some extent, uh, on the Lockheed Martin drone that they uh, captured in 2011. They reverse-engineered uh, some of that, at least. And and so uh, that's kind of how they got hold of some of the technology that the Iranians are using here. The MQ-170, um, or the RQ-170, depending upon what. So we can track where the technology came from, um, but it's definitely the Russians are needing new drones because they're losing them a lot. And the Iranians are willing to participate. So we'll we'll see where that comes down. Well, our next story comes from, we go from NPR to BBC, um, and that is Microsoft launches simulator to train drone AI systems. I thought this was interesting, a simulator for artificial intelligence. It's kind of counterintuitive. What do you think, Max? Artificial intelligence or machine learning is interesting in that it requires massive amounts of data right, to teach the AI how to respond in different situations. And so uh, back in 2017, as you said, Microsoft created this open source AirSim simulation platform to be used for research and experimentation. But one of the difficulties was that, well, it was difficult to use. You had to have a lot of machine learning knowledge, some coding knowledge. It was, uh, it required significant effort to use it. So now what we see is Microsoft announcing, and I think they announced this at Farnborough, a new Project AirSim platform 
that uh, is apparently easier to use. Uh, it's it's cloud-based, and it's used for teaching autro- autonomous drones how to fly. So it uses their um, Microsoft Bing Maps and other data to create detailed virtual 3D environments. Microsoft is talking with uh, regulators about how AirSim could be used for aircraft certification, and it's released as a limited preview for now. So it's not officially out there. But part of me, Max, wondered how much of this technology is stemming from good old Microsoft flight simulator, you know, uh, and all of the technology, the, the latest version of it, all of the technology is so advanced. I'm wondering, you know, if that technology is sort of transferred over to teach artificial intelligence. So, Well, you would think that they, they Microsoft would take advantage of uh, the, their expertise and what they've learned with other uh, you know, flight simulation software. Uh, but uh, I think this is uh, sort of a, a fascinating approach because if you need to teach your – if you're developing an AI drone or, or a drone where it uh, features navigation using artificial intelligence for object avoidance and things like that, you need to – like I said, you need to have a lot of data. So here you create kind of virtual environments that generate the data for you. In other words – is a virtual environment. It's a real environment, or it could be modeled after a real environment. But it includes all the details, buildings, poles, obstacles, you know, whatever. And you can use that in a simulation mode to uh, test and to develop your control software or whatever you've got that's using machine learning. This has got to be a huge benefit for companies trying to develop that kind of capability. And then the notion of using this for aircraft certification is kind of brilliant. And I think what Microsoft is uh, is talking to regulators about is that, look, in effect, the regulators should be able to use or accept the results of aircraft learning that comes out of this uh, this air sim simulation platform because it's maybe it's not real world, but it's close enough, or if Microsoft can convince the regulators that it's close enough to real world, you're going to get more results much more quickly, for sure. I, I still think, um, all as I was reading this article in the back of my mind, all I all I remembered was, would you like to play a game of chess? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or tic-tac-toe. Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't know, if you're not old enough to re- understand that reference, go watch War Games with a very young Matthew Broderick. Yeah, extremely young. Uh, how you teach artificial intelligence about nuclear war. You play tic-tac-toe. Right. Now, you skipped a DJI piece, David. I did. Okay, from Drone DJ. Um, the Financial Times reports that DJI has been pushing backs against the American Security Drone Act, the ASDA. That act would prohibit the U.S. federal funding from being used to buy Chinese drones. And it broadens the bans that exist. See, what we have is uh, uh, DJI, of course, has been put on the entities list as well as other blacklists over the security concerns that the U.S. federal government and maybe others have with DJI. So they have found themselves, DJI has, restricted 
from sales uh, to uh, to many government entities. Well, this ASDA, this American Security Drone Act, strengthens the bans. It broadens the bans. It makes it makes it more difficult for a company who becomes banned to get off the ban. Uh, so uh, DJI has been utilizing well a couple of lo- uh, lobbying firms in order to try to push back on this a little bit. The bill was not retained in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act by the House. However, the Republican representatives vowed to make the ASDA law in a final version or on its own. So uh, part of it is the use of data. DJI has been accused um, of providing data acquired by flying its drones to the Chinese government. And, you know, they are the number one producer of consumer drones, and the U.S. is a huge market for them. So this is, this is a big loss. It's also a loss for many organizations here in the States who would want, want to use that technology. Um, so it's kind of back and forth. Coming out of this was something that uh, you know the article characterizes as unexpected, an unexpected twist, which is that during some testimony to the House Senate Homeland Security Committee, Biden administration officials actually acknowledged that despite these multiple blacklists and bans and so forth, the FBI has continued to buy DJI drones. They've continued to use DJI drones. And they said that the same was actually true of the Department of Homeland Security. So uh, the government that's initiated these bans is actually violating them. And I think the issue is the alternatives are not that attractive. The alternatives of DJI are either more expensive or less capable or both. Or both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you wonder... If there is a blacklist, how do you prove that, you know, I mean, what kind of hurdles are these organizations doing to prove that they have to make that purchase in order to comply with the blacklist? You know, of course, there's always exceptions to every rule, but clearly the FBI and Department of Homeland Security have decided that it is worth the effort and the amount of time and money to make sure that you are complying with it, but getting the exception. You know, it's it, it funny how we used to always talk about with the FAA, the exceptions, you know, how, how do you get the exception? Well, it looks like the federal government's trying to make an exception of their own rules. So it's kind of amusing. So a 165 mile drone superhighway will soon be built in the UK. So they're going to lay macadam and and, uh, you know, I, 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 always, I thought this was kind of an interesting statement because the superhighway, is it going to be four lanes or eight lanes? That's what I want to know. Well, it can be up to 10 kilometers wide, actually. But, of course, this is, this is a superhighway, quote-unquote, in the sky. And it's part of uh, what they're calling Project Skyway, which is this uh, U.K. plan to develop this, what they're calling a drone superhighway. And what they're doing is connecting, or they will be doing, connecting the airspace between a number of uh, cities or towns in the U.K., Reading, Oxford, Milton Keynes, Cambridge, Coventry, and uh, Rugby, over the next two years. And the idea is that if you want to have drones 
performing various tasks, flying deliveries, doing all kinds of things in the sky. Um, you have a problem with deconflicting the airspace. You have conventional aircraft, piloted aircraft, and uh, unpiloted aircraft all vying for the airspace. And that represents a significant challenge. So I think the strategy here is lay out this super highway, these uh, corridors in the sky, and kind of restrict the drone traffic uh, to that. Well, and, and corridors work really well. Look at the North Atlantic corridors that they everybody flies across the pond every day, you know. And so the project consortium is led by Altitude Angel, a UTM or Unified Traffic Management or un, a man traffic management solution. And drones need human pilots and that's an obstacle. So clearly to be able to operate in this human in this in this environment we're not talking about artificial intelligence. At least not coming from the drone, because the idea is that this Skyway will let any drone manufacturer connect their drone's guidance and communication systems to this virtual superhighway system. So the superhighway system manages the traffic through the corridors using ground-based sensors that can come from a variety of different uh, manufacturers. And the drones themselves, regardless of whose drone it is, it doesn't have to provide that capability. So once your drone, with its package to be delivered to some town, enters the, the corridor, the superhighway, the, the superhighway takes over the guidance and provides the obstacle avoidance and all the, you know, all of that sort of thing. So I think it's it's really kind of an interesting thing. It's 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 like open source airspace. I mean, in a sense. Um, that being that you don't have to develop pr proprietary solutions to provide the navigation for your drone. You just have, you provide the, the drone in the service, and then you let this you know central authority provide the guidance in the corridor. Back in the World's Fair, the world of tomorrow, talked about cars that would get on a highway. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was it was kind of funny that you you were you would drive the car to the highway. And then the highway would take over once you were on the superhighway hmm. doing the driving until you had to get off and drive locally. Um, it, this is <laughs> what's similar. old is what what is what what is old is new again, you know, or, or what is new is old again. Um, it is an interesting technique. I'm wondering how well the handoffs will work. Mm -hmm. That's one of the challenges. Is when you enter the system, I mean, you hand it off to somebody else and they operated it, but the la that last mile delivery, I'm sure, will not be part of the highway and you're going to have to get take control again. So it's definitely an interesting concept. I wonder how well it'll work. I mean, there's a lot of processing going, you know, and there's a lot of handshakes and every time you have a handshake like this and any sort of technology or scheme you have to worry about that point you know that transfer point is where it where the failure rate is at the highest there's also something else to consider with corridors which is that in a corridor kind of approach you're concentrating the drone traffic into a small area and that's fine if that corridor is over unpopulated areas or 
you know, or, or, or not over my house, but <laughs> for, you know, for uh, other situations, uh, this concentration of the traffic into a, into a smaller area, this could represent uh, issues of noise and things of that sort. So just something to sort of think about. So, and there is a video um, we'll have the sh- we'll have in the show notes a YouTube video for Project Skyway, so um, definitely check it out. And it's another solution. We'll see how well it works. I could see it being very effective for long distances, but you know we'll we'll see how it works in in Great Britain, and then if the technology can ex- be expanded here in the states or other large areas. So, our last story comes from iotworldtoday.com new specialized drones unveiled and um, delivery drones they'll be using the project skyway we'll see how that how all connects <laughs> um, alphabet which we all know is google put out some new drones from their wing division so wing has had a delivery drone um, that they've been, you know, using for some time. Meanwhile, Wing hasn't uh, hasn't stopped developing or thinking about sort of next generation drones. And what they've been thinking is that you could have or you should have uh, different drones for different missions. A drone to carry a pill bottle with some medication, weighing you know an ounce or two ounces or something. Um, the drone to do that most efficiently, probably isn't the same drone that would be carrying a 5- or 10-pound payload. And so they've developed a a family of drones. In fact, they call them an aircraft library. And the idea is that each one is is tailored to be efficient for certain kinds of delivery missions. Could be weight, like I mentioned. Could be volume, right? You might have one style of drone to carry a large light package and another one to carry a small, heavy package. They all sort of are similar, um, but like I said, they're, they're a library. It's an interesting, te- I mean, it's an interesting concept. My question is, I wonder how intercompatible they're going to be. The, the worst program currently in, in the modern military is trying to make it F-35A, B, and C all work together um, even though they're really three different airplanes. wonder how Alphabet's going to um, try to reduce the cost because if you have all of these specialized aircraft, of course, the prices go up and you don't purchase as many of them. So anytime you have specialization, you end up getting a cost involved with that. So we understand that there are some common components across the, the different models here, uh, things like motors, the control computers, the battery, and also the materials and processes to build them. So there is some commonality that runs through them, which should at least partly address that issue, David. But another, well, kind of a related issue is that if you have all these different flavors of of drones, particularly for somebody who has uh, different uh, mission parameters and so might want to manage a collection of different drone models. There's the issue of having the right model at the right time, you know, in in the right place. It's it's sort of the classic inventory problem. 
if you have uh, you know wide variety uh, of any kind of inventory, then that increases the probability that you're going to be out of some the one thing that you need at a particular point in time. So I don't know if maybe the third generation of the something in the future might be you know sort of interoperability of components so that you could maybe uh, take the different components and construct the type of like Legos right construct the type of a drone you need for that particular mission rather than have a you know a warehouse or a stock room with 20 of these kind of drones and five of those and 50 of something else and of course these are patents that we're talking about and our usual disclaimer for patents is just because it's patented doesn't mean it'll actually ever happen. But it, it, it is definitely clear that Wing is still quietly behind the scenes thinking about drone delivery, even though they're not as out front as, say, Amazon is. And uh, we have another video associated with this story as well. It's uh, called the Aircraft Library. That's their, their term that they kind of like for this. And uh, we'll have that in the show notes also. Well, my cat Emily is telling me it's time to wrap this up, Max. And you probably want to get somewhere cool. Yeah, the beads of sweat <laughs> flowing down my my face tell me it's about time to uh, to wrap this up as well. So we want to thank you for listening to the UAV Digest. This has been episode 407. You can find us at the UAVdigest.com. And, of course, you can find us on social media. Check us out on LinkedIn. Max and I are both there. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. And, of course, you can join our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com, and we'll send you a link to our Slack listener teams. Likewise, um, if you have a story that you'd like us to cover or maybe a guest or something you want us to do, also send a, feel free to send us an email to feedback at the uabdigest.com and we'll be happy to uh, review it and look at it. And we also like hearing from our listeners. So with that, I'm going to say it's hot in Delaware and this is David. <laughs> I think it's hotter in Connecticut. This is Max. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.